Well, welcome back, everyone, to the Whitetail Theories podcast. We are here at the Great American Outdoor Show, and we got Nick Ventura on the mic, the owner of the Outdoor Media Group and host of Become One. We're going to be talking a little bit about filming and videography in the hunting industry. What's going on, Nick? Well, nothing much, man. I'm day four here. I love this show. It's like a big redneck party. <laughs> um, I feel like I always end it sick. And I always can't wait to leave. And as soon as I get home, I just want to go back to the show. It's just one of those things. You know, it's like can't live with it, can't live without it type thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so as far as like kind of the show scene, what show are you on now? It is show season. So we don't do a ton of shows. We've done the ATA show is our first. This is like our biggest consumer show. Um, so this is, I guess, two for us if we're starting in January. And then we do um, Jurassic Classic in the summer, which I would recommend um, someone your age. It's a fun show. There's concerts. It's outdoors in August in Ohio. It's a blast. Um, great show. Great people. And then we do, uh, to kind of backtrack, we do Wisconsin Deer and Turkey Expo end of March, um, which is our first time going to that show. So we're excited to see what that does for us. We don't do a ton, man. We With the TV show, with... Um, our education stuff, it's, we don't have a ton of time. So we try to pick the best shows that we can and just kind of focus on those. For sure. For sure. Time management. And like you said, with everything that you guys got going on, yeah. I would assume that you guys are pretty locked up 365. Yeah, we are. We're busy. Um, and if we're not, then something's wrong because there's always something to do. We're always behind, it seems, but we make it work. Yeah. All right. So uh, I kind of want to start at the basics and just do some icebreakers here. Mm-hmm. Uh, for our listeners that aren't familiar with who you are, I start all my podcasts like this. How did you get into hunting and what, what is your hunting background? Well, um, so I think that's a question like most I learned from my dad. Um, I started, my dad tells a great story when I was, um, he told at my wedding actually. So I, as soon as I could walk, I'd go hunting with him and it was New York. I'm from New York. We're gun hunting which that's how we learned. And uh, the uh, it was so cold. The first day I saw a deer out in the field, we walked over the hill and I peed my pants. <laughs> and uh, it was so cold that I started to freeze. And my dad's like, do you want to go? I'm like, no, I want to stay. But I was so excited to see those deer. And I actually had like my little um, pop gun. I pulled up and like made a bang noise. Um, and right then he always says he knew I was hooked because, you know, I got so excited. I peed my pants, you know, and adrenaline. And I was, ever since that day, I would, you know, I'd go with him until I was old enough to hunt for myself. And I learned a lot from him. I learned a lot by myself. And I think any hunter can attest to this, that, you know, you learn from the people that taught you, but you also learn a lot on your own when it's just you out in the woods. So that's my hunting background. I mean, I, I was a diehard hunter in New York, um, took up bow hunting because it was more time for me to hunt. And I really never stopped. I love whitetails. That's my, that's my thing. I've hunted elk. I've shot an elk with a bow. And it's easy for people to say, like, that's their favorite thing to hunt, and it is great, but I can never give up um, whitetail hunting. To me, that's my favorite thing to do by far. Yeah, there's something about, you don't really hear a lot of people on the East Coast getting out of whitetail hunting. No, I mean, I, it's to me, it's the biggest animal. Everybody knows the record whitetails come out for elk and stuff across the country it doesn't seem like it's as big a news out west yeah i mean montana people know but for me you know the biggest white tails that stuff that never fades away every year someone's shooting what seems like the new state record um world record i'm not chasing that but it's just the white tail community there's so many people so the market of products is so much bigger um the amount of hunters is so much more you look at pennsylvania alone as a state there's so many people in pennsylvania that hunt and they hunt deer, you know, and they hunt a little bit of bear, but deer's it, man. That's at the core of every hunting camp is deer camp. You For know? sure. Absolutely. So, uh, what would, what would, uh, something be that you would say to, uh, a 10 year younger self that you wish you knew about hunting that you know now? Um, just, just watch, you know, I, I always, um, the Indians always say, they would always say, watch the deer eat. And I really do believe that the best tool for learning is just being out there and watching the animals. 
you can pick up so much by watching a deer's behaviors, by watching how they interact when they cross scent paths, when they cross trails, where they're going, where they're coming from. Um, there's no um, substitute for time. So I think do as much as you can. Um, hunt by yourself when you're old enough and just be out in nature and understand it and listen. Every animal tells a story. Every animal makes a noise and there's a reason for it. So be ups, you know, if you become obsessed with whitetails, then that's the best thing you can do for killing animals or killing whitetails successfully is just understanding them and how they interact. Um, I made a lot of mistakes when I was younger. I still make a lot of mistakes. Um, I always tell this story when I was, and I used to live in New York. That's my chair creaking. I kind of stopped leaning back. But when I was in New York, I used to hunt um, this one field across from my grand my grandparents' house. And if the wind was right, I think it was out of the west, I'd hunt whitetails. If it was out of the east, I would hunt geese. But I'd go to the same field. So in reality, I wasn't doing any good because I'd still be hunting that field and busting the deer. But back then, I thought, well, if I'm not actually hunting the deer, I'm not hurting. I'm on the other side of the field. But learning how wind works, I mean, if I, if I was 10 years old or I was telling a 10-year-old, I'd say, just enjoy it and be out there and um, be a student of the game because that's the best way to become a great hunter is just learn, never stop learning. Yeah, no, I 100% would reiterate that as well. And that's actually the first time that I've gotten that answer. And that's something I try to reiterate again and again on this podcast is just be a student of the game and learn animal behavior the yeah, best I mean, you can. You can go to seminars all day long, and you can, but you have to do that stuff yourself and that's why i love it because you know you talk about wind or when to dry your bow especially like those things when the animals trying to duke you into looking at them or duke you into moving like you you can't teach that you have to learn and you have to make For those sure. mistakes so you can read every article you want and, I, and learn as much as you can but being out there is, is the best recipe to learning how to you know hunt white tails effectively absolutely all right so obvious question by the way i like that one i never got that before Thank you. Uh, so obviously your bread and butter uh, is storytelling, videography, hunting videography. When did you kind of get started with that? Um, I'd always dabbled with filming our hunts, like goose hunts and stuff, when I was 12, 13 years old. And it was mostly my dad, like we'd have a camera. that we, It'd be cool to watch it back. Um, when I became, when I went to college... Uh, around that time frame, maybe end of high school, I bought my first camera and me and my buddy would start capturing our hunts. Back when Drury's was big and all, you know, it was filming our hunts was a popular thing. We're talking, it doesn't seem this long, but it was probably 10, 15 years ago. You know, I'm doing the math in my head. Um, so we bought our first camera. I forget, we bought our first camera from eBay. There was a 30-day warranty policy. We could return it. So we got the camera. We filmed a deer hunt in New York, and then the camera actually stopped working, so I sent it back. We didn't have another camera for about a year after that. So we had one camera, filmed the hunt, sent it back, got our money back. We felt like we had like achieved greatness because we didn't have to pay for it, essentially. That's hilarious. Um, and it broke, so it's not like I just didn't scam anybody out of their money. But um, And then in college, another dumb decision I made that turned out good in the, in, in the long run was um, I took part of my student loan money and bought some camera gear. Um, didn't again taking accounting as a major didn't quite understand money still so mm -hmm. but i look back and i probably wouldn't be in this position or here as far as i am if i'm saying you know in, in a position i want to be if i didn't make those quote-unquote dumb choices back then what did your early videography look like oh i'd be not good i mean there's i don't think Nobody that's been doing this for a while, that's people better than me, would like to watch their first video and say, yeah, I was, I had it from the start. Because you don't, you just acquire these things. I mean, it was shaky. It was out of focus, exposure all over the place, probably a lot of auto settings. Um, I don't think I was doing anything like goofy hosting stuff. Like, I wasn't like, hey, Nick Ventura here, like, check it out. I wasn't, like, corny, but I just, I was doing it for the reasons of, I would just love to show my parents. And I would always tell these tall tales of what I saw at hunting. I had exaggerated stories, so I wanted to capture these moments to show people. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'd hate for people to Google search and find stuff because it'd be bad, but it also, it's so old and, you know, I welcome it. I see, I see, I see old poll, old posts on Facebook. I'm sure you're the same way. Like 10 years ago, I'm like, man, what a dumb thing to say, <laughs> you know, or why did I think that was cool to post that picture of that like camera, you know, at that yeah. time. But, um, well, yeah. I think there's something to be said about that. And you kind of touched on this in your seminar and we'll get, we'll get down this rabbit hole then, but. You talk about how things change over time, and I think 
at least from my experience, your videography changes and kind of like you as a person changes. So what you value potentially 10, 15 years ago or whenever you got into videography as to who you are now as a person is totally different and what you capture in that storytelling is totally different. Yeah, I mean, just to go off that, it's it's true, like times change. I don't think, the great thing about whitetail hunting is it's it can be as simple or as complex as you want. You can go out there with just a stick bow and an arrow and harvest your animal or you can have the set gadgets, you can play the wind, do set drags, do vape set and get as crazy as you want to with your bow. So, and both people are successful. There's not one that figures it out more than the other. Um, but times change, cameras change, and it's because it's an art form. What is popular at that time changes. You look at, you know, there's a reason why shows don't look like the old real tree videos anymore. And there's a reason why back then everybody watched real tree monster bucks. You know, so the shots that were cool then were you'd get behind the rack and the hunter would walk up and look for the animal and then he'd be like, oh, there it is. And he'd walk up to the animal. You would know back then that, you know, thinking about it, that obviously they already found the deer. But there was this whole stigma back then that there was no cameraman, that it was just like all this stuff was just somehow magically captured. And then as soon as people started to introduce the cameraman as part of the storyline and we would have conversations, then it started to become cool to show behind the scenes stuff and show how it was made and now acts more real because now we're saying, you know what, it's a documentary. It's not really, um, you know, this magic fairy tale hunt that just happened that we, you know, like captured as a fake story. So I don't remember who, I think it was Grace that started to show the cameraman. And then since then, things have kind of spiraled to the cameraman's now cool and we'd have a conversation. You watch those old videos, you would never see me talk to you and say, hey, what do you think about, you know, like, would this win? Should we do this? Or man, wasn't that cool? Did you get that? Like, back then, it was like, hey, guys, I hope you saw that. That was great. You know, so it's just different times change. And I don't know what it will be like in 20 years. I, I know we'll be doing something different. I know we'll look back and say, man, I would never do shows like that anymore. You right. Know? I don't know if, I wonder, too, if, like, podcasts will be the same. Like, you wonder how things change in the future and what it's going to be like. It's interesting and scary because I don't want to be that guy that's, like, never changes. and just stuck in the old ways. You can't know, evolve. That old school guy that's just like, no, this is how we did it back then, and it works. So we're going to do it that way. But we'll see, man. Future yeah. is future is unknown. I was I was literally just going to ask you what you think the uh, the future of videography is going to be, but it's like you said, you don't you don't know. But I will caveat it with this: I feel like you do go in some cycles. Oh, of course. Yeah i I could see, and I you know I've been wrong many times in my life, more times than I'd like to admit. But I could see the future of hunting television going into these longer single shots to where there's less cutaways and people could no longer say, well, that didn't happen real time. And what I mean by that is there's this desire to show things as real as they happen, but also make it pretty and effective. So I could see it being as though the cameras are more stationed on the person and then from that person seeing the deer to shooting the deer, having that whole thing in one shot, one sequence. So it feels real and it feels like you're waiting with him. When that deer pins you down, he starts stopping that you see that. So I th- I could see it going that way because people just never want to stop seeing things that feel more real and are more real, um, and we'll get away a- away from that fake audio, the slow motion shots, or you know every puddle the guys to walk through and stomping and the water splashes. Um, that's it, what I see. It, so for for the audience that doesn't understand what a single shot is, it's basically just start to finish, hit the record button, and then. When you turn the record button off, that's relatively your project. Yeah. Yeah. Essentially, like, if you were to take a video on your iPhone, like, one long clip and never stopping it and showing another video, um, which is very difficult to do, as you know. Um, and that's why in the hunting market, it's near impossible because, A, we're telling a story. So the audience, whether they think they do or not, they want to see the guy draw the boat so they know when he draws the boat. They want to see if he grunts when he grunts. They want to see when he picks up his bow because although they don't think they want to see that they really do because you want to see at what time frame is this stuff happening um so that's what that that's why there's cutaways and recreates right and let's just say let's let's go with that that idea that that's going to be the future of content where does that content live man uh, we've <laughs> we've argued about this with other people not argue but we've had constructive talks i'd say Everyone always says, you know, TV is going away, TV is going away. And I, 
I don't think it's going away. I think it's evolving. Um, you know, everyone says it's going YouTube, man. It's it's going carbon. It's going whatever. All these other things. And the only thing I'll say about that is my my nervousness. That's even a word about the YouTube thing or the other thing is hunters are such a small part of the overall population that if the head head guys at YouTube or the head guys at whatever these smaller social platforms say no more killing animals, no more blood, no more dead animals at all, which they're starting to do similar things in little forums like that, but they'll just cut hunting out altogether. And then what? Right. Um, so we're 5% of the entire population. So if YouTube lost 5% of its videos, do you think they'd care? Probably Somebody's not. The bucket, you know, so right. people think like, oh, but it's so big. It's like, it's only so big to you because that's your audience. And that's what you watch. Um, so I guess my point there is your sportsman's channel, outdoor channel, they've got a bigger power and a bigger platform. So it's tougher for it to leave those sources. Now, can DirecTV say, yeah, we're going to cut that channel? Yeah. But now you're talking to one channel, a lot of 500, which isn't, you know, better, you know, I don't know what the odds are and I don't know how many viewers they hold. But I guess my point there is it really could be anywhere because it depends on who allows it to be shown. All these PETA is... I think they say roughly seven or eight percent of people are for PETA, so that's five percent of us that are hunters. That leaves a whole eighty-five to ninety percent of people that are on the fence of do they understand it or do they respect or are they against it? So everyone always talks about it's our job to talk to people about PETA and show who we are, and I'm I disagree. I say it's not our job to talk to those people. It's our job to talk to those other eighty-five percent, and not not so much say. You need to hunt, but do you understand that here's why we do it? And if we could get those people, then we're safe. Because just like somebody from PETA is not going to come up to me and convince me to stop hunting, I'm probably not going to convince them to understand what I do. So it's a lost cause. And I think the people, if we don't work together more, which we do, and if we don't continue to be on the same team, we're going to lose that battle against PETA. And eventually these platforms, kind of going back to that, these platforms will go away because they'll say, Hey YouTube, we don't want to see any more dead animals. We're like, you know what? You're right. Sorry, we don't want to disrupt you guys. We'll take it off. Um, I hope I'm wrong too. I hope I'm dead wrong, and I hope that YouTube hunting lives on. I hope that there's all these platforms that strive because it's good for us and it grows. But my worry is that when we fight amongst each other, is that it's only going to drive those platforms to disappear. Yeah, no, uh, I 100% agree with you, and I think you hit the nail on the head with it's that 85% that we really need to pay attention to and yeah. focus our efforts on um, as far as potentially being just building relationships with them to some degree or another. But uh, my next question for you is, with the whole YouTube thing, it kind of sparked this, what's your opinion on free content, free platforms like that? Because... And and I want to expand on that too. So, for example, you said that like YouTube can kick a hunters off, or they can censor whatever they want at any moment, at any time. Whereas, like the the outdoor channel, the the sportsman's channel, these various networks mm-hmm. are getting advertising money, right? Yeah. So, Under Armour, for example, is paying to have their advertisements on that network. Yeah. Where if let's say that we move content away from outdoor television. Could that happen? Because of the amount of money that's being brought into those networks, I guess is what I'm saying, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, and, and I, I think I think you can. I think I do love the free platform because I love content being out there. We put content on YouTube for that reason, to give people a, you know the free option. Um, I think, and the other thing too is there are ad buys on YouTube. You know, people can front track a video or that's not the word but whatever you'd call it to show an ad before the video um, plays and those are usually hunting companies or companies that you've google searched you know and they've figured out what you want in life so they try to drive that purchase um the only thing i'll say about outdoor tv is driven by sponsors you know you know that i know that and under armor is a good example and i think until you see those bigger sponsors put their focus on the youtube or get away from tv then you'll see those bigger names TV shows go to YouTube because, you know, it's a business. And your Lee and Tiffany is a great example for YouTube. Like, if they ever left Sportsman Outdoor Channel to go to YouTube, it'd be a well-known thing and it'd be an obvious thing. And 
it would be like a shocker in the industry. And people would start to jump ship with them because there's got to be a reason for it. But until there's that revenue in YouTube, it's it's still a pipe dream. And I think one of the things um, with YouTube and, you know, Sportsman's channel is because it's it's driven by that revenue that there has to be, you know, there has to be money there because if they're not, if they're not making money, then what's the point? You know, are they doing it for the free advertising dollars? Possibly. Um, but you know, it's a tricky question. It's, you know, it's, that's a really tough one to answer, but yeah, I just, I think YouTube's great and I love it, but I don't know. And people make money on YouTube, you know, so you yep. make a lot of money on YouTube, but they it's make, not so much right. the hunting guys. It's really exactly your dude perfects and your you mm. know. Um but yeah. All right. So let's let's transition here and kind of get away from this subject. Uh what I kind of want to focus on for the, the last part of this podcast is I'd really like to get back into your seminar. Mm-hmm. So I sat through your seminar and I found it extremely interesting and there was a lot of really good information in there. Uh and I, I saved a lot of my questions for the podcast. Okay, sweet. So, uh, why don't we start off talking about how to get into outdoor videography and outdoor television? Because I did walk in a little bit late, and okay, yeah. I, I think that might be the best place to start, and then we can go from there. Yeah. So, you know, we teach Film the Hunt. That's the our education platform, and I'm not the guy that says our school's the only way that's going to ha- make that happen. There's other schools out there. Everyone does a great job. You know, some people don't take it as seriously as us. Some people maybe take it more. I, I doubt that. But um, if you want to get an outdoor TV, it takes a great network, and you have to start somewhere. Schooling from a university is great. Man, that's loud. <laughs> but a lot of a lot of TV shows aren't looking for for your degree graduates necessarily for their outdoor TV. They're looking for guys that are hunters first that have a passion for photography or videography and those guys tend to make it better. Now there's the theory too, that the guy that doesn't understand what animal he's capturing won't get excited and nervous and shake. You know, there's that train of thought, but a lot of guys that come to our school, our four day class, um, you know, they, I like that younger age group because they don't have the girlfriend yet. They want to travel. They're eager to learn. Hopefully they have the great work ethic, all the above. Um, and they, they don't have the financial, you know, bills yet, or they have that chance to take those risks in life. So you're not having a 45 year old guy come to the school that's got a mortgage, you know, and has those things because it's tough to start right away. It takes time. Um, so we have our four day class called film the hunt, um, the outdoor field producer class. And those four days we have guest speakers from other TV shows. We talk about ethics. We talk about all of the above and we teach you how to use your camera from, from nothing. Um, to eventually leaving saying, what do you want to do? Do you want to get a job in this? Do you want to be a freelancer, a part-time, full-time? Do you want to have a YouTube show? Whatever that is, we, we do our best to help you achieve that. Um, now it takes other things beyond just being a good camera. And it takes networking, people skills. I know I kind of try to hit that nail on the head as much as I can during the class because I can't stress enough how many good videographers, great videographers don't get work because they're not a people person. Yeah. Um, and you have a lot of guys that are just like, eh, they're okay behind the camera. They capture it. They're more cameraman than field producer. Get a lot of work because they're super good dudes. And I wish I wish it wasn't always that way, but that's just the working world, you know. Networking no. gets people to the next next position. Absolutely. It's not it's not what you know, it's who you know. Yeah, exactly. So before we go any further, uh you've mentioned a couple terms there and I just want to hit on those terms here real quick. So you mentioned field producer, cameraman. Uh, let's let's talk about that real quick. So those two titles are potentially two entirely different job roles, correct? Yeah. Um, yeah, they're entirely different. Yet everything the how do I put this? So everything the cameraman does, the field producer will also do, but not the opposite. So there's things the field producer do that the cameraman won't do. If I hire you as a cameraman or you're working as a cameraman, your responsibilities are less. You're more of the amateur. Your main focus is to capture the hunt and the kill and the shots surrounding that. Whereas the field producer is there to capture the whole story, whether it's 
someone's first elk hunt, the travel scenes, all those things that make up the story. Now, that doesn't mean that the cameraman just sits back and doesn't do any of that work, but he's not directing the story. He's not picking and choosing those shots. Whereas when it comes down to it, that field person is going to make up a bulk of those shots that outline the hunt, that go beyond just that hunt and kill. So it's a big responsibility thing. And, um, yeah, I mean, that's the that, that's the biggest thing is it's kind of like the minor leagues and the big leagues, right? So it's like the minor leagues, that's your first cameraman. Not a lot of responsibility. Not, you know, knock that out of the park. And then next year, maybe you're a field producer more or less. Um, in, in, in hunting videography, is there... Uh, positions where you are strictly just the producer or director. Yeah, you're saying as far as like you're just overseeing the whole thing. Not so much overseeing, but you're painting the picture of the storytelling. You're choosing the shots that you want collected, mm-hmm. um, but you're not actually capturing them. But you're not at. Yeah, right. so I wouldn't say. I mean, yeah, in a way, those were the executive producers, Tom and myself, during those episodes, as to we're kind of saying, "Hey, I want to make sure we have a good." dinner scene i don't care when you do it but it's up to you as the field producer to grab that now when we get to like commercial shoots or films then yeah there's more of that we'll have like if we're it's a big shoot we'll have a, a dp a director of photography where his job is simply to look at every shot and pick and choose and say yeah i like it or let's redo it and there's a guy that's just his job is to shoot and work with the dp so there are those roles now in the episodes the tv show and hunting television they kind of get meshed into one and you know, whereas a show that doesn't have someone like me as that's into the behind the scenes stuff, they may not be as producer like and it may just be the field producer's job to pick and choose. Whereas me and Tom, because of our backgrounds and because that we teach people, we take more of a hands on role with that because we take joy in that, we enjoy doing it. Gotcha. Okay. Um all right, so continuing on, we got that straightened out, the difference between field producer and cameraman in that uh, a field producer will sometimes do the exact same thing as a cameraman, yep. but not vice versa. Correct. All right. So what other potential jobs or positions could somebody be looking at as far as getting into uh, hunting videography? Um, the editor is a big one. That's also the hardest. So that's like, you may edit as soon as you, as soon as you start doing this stuff, you may not get your first quote unquote editing job until three or four years in. It could be your first year. It could be a really small deal, but those are, those are the biggest jobs, you know, that goes beyond the field producer because, you know, the editor's job is to, I I said in the class, polish a turd. If stuff's bad, then someone gets paid a lot of money to make it look good, make it look fancy. If stuff's good, as from the field producer standpoint, it doesn't always take a, the best editor to make it look good. It just stuff naturally looks pretty. You take something shot from Heartland Bowhunters cameras; they always have stuff looks great. It doesn't take a great editor to make that look good. The shots right. are already there. Um, so, and I, I use them as example because they shoot very pretty stuff. You know, they're they're known for their, their cinematography. Um, an editor's one. Um, there's content creators, guys that are just your run and gun, getting photos for companies, getting marketing content for them. I think that's becoming increasingly popular in our um, in our space. Um, not to go outside videography, but there's there's podcasts, there's guys that create music, there's guys that you know. There's so many jobs in outdoor television. People don't realize all these different ways to get it, and um, it kills me when people just pick up a camera and think they know the camera so they don't need to take the class i'm like man you're not taking the class just to learn how to run the camera that's part of it that should be a focus but you're learning it for the networking i can't tell you how many guys leave that school becoming friends with each other going out and filming because how many times you see somebody like filming and they have their group of guys we'll call them cool kids outdoors you know it's whatever mm-hmm. and one guy's like super into it you know two guys are like oh, i don't know you know i, I just want to hunt but yeah if you want to film it you can but that one guy, man, he just keeps going after and getting it. Well, that guy will come to the class and he'll meet other guys that have that same passion. Because when you align yourself with people with the same passion, now you start getting great content. Now you start working together. Um, they bounce jobs back and forth. I love seeing students that are on a shoe where it's two students because one of them talked to the other guy and said, hey, I got, we need another guy. You want to come with us? That stuff happens. Without going to that class, you're just the same guy 
trying to get work and call us arrogant, call us selfish, but we don't we don't actively seek workout for people that don't take our classes. If you don't want to invest in yourself and come to our class, weren't it's not our job to get you work unless you let us help you. Right. Um so I kinda rambled on there, but I think I, I think I covered the question, whatever it was. <laughs> no, no, that was really good. Um I had a follow up question and I'm trying to I went too long, I screwed you up. Figure out exactly what that was. Oh, um, yeah, kind of just to piggyback off of what you said there with, like, the various opportunities to get into uh, the hunting space mm-hmm. and and by, by taking your cat class, like you said, you don't necessarily, like, your class doesn't necessarily have to point you into a direction where you are literally just behind a camera. You understand how the camera works. Mm-hmm. You understand what goes into it. And then why uh, I'm, I'm doing a crappy job of explaining this, but I'm going to do my best <laughs> You're good. by, by understanding how the camera works, you can then move around in different situations and basically plug that in. So let's say, like you said, with a podcast, let's say you want to start a video podcast, mm-hmm. right? The, for example, the Joe Rogan podcast, the most popular podcast in the world has a video aspect behind it. You now understand how to incorporate various shots, various angles, color, et cetera, et cetera for a podcast yeah and, and that's just it. it's like it goes beyond hunting we've had guys come to our class like you know i don't want to make it a job and we when we start the class we say you know show of hands who wants to do this for a living and maybe half the class raise their hands the other half is like i want to just film my kids and i want to just know more about it for myself and that's fine and we encourage those people too and then you they start to get the bug and we'll hear those guys well when they went back to their company there's a couple of people that in the past have gone to their class and then they go back to work and they end up down the road working some type of video or marketing job in their company because now they have that experience. So it's cool because they didn't learn for that company. You know, I've seen guys and we got one guy, Brian, that now his job is he's the video guy for his manufacturing plant, whereas he was hired on as a sales guy and he loves it because that's his passion, Mm -hmm. you know? So it's like, he didn't go to school for that purpose, but it just opens up your eyes and, you know, opens doors for you. In that same respect, we've had guys that have kids that want to film their kids. Now they're doing, they're like, oh, maybe, you know, they're doing more of that stuff for themselves too. So, yeah, to your point, you you come, a lot of people come with the idea of learning the camera and learning for the video side of things, but that's not all they leave with. It's understanding the cameras, 80% of the class, the hunting and the examples if you want to call it that are the other 20 percent gotcha how novice can you be to get into your class because i I feel like it can be a little intimidating when you first just look at your website your structure oh yeah like that um you know we have we've had people come to our class with dslrs and six lenses on the table ready to go those are guys are going there for the networking because they know the type of jobs we can get them and they know what this school can do for them. And then we have guys that come with no camera and we tell people, do you need a camera? I say no, but if you have a camera, any at all, I would bring it because we can teach you on that camera specifically. But Canon and Sony will send cameras and lenses for people to try for that class, get their hands on. Now, the good thing is you, if you call up and say, hey, Nick, I'm coming to the class. I don't have a camera. I want to learn on a Sony. I'm thinking of getting that. I'll make sure there's a Sony there for you to use that week in class. You sign it out every day, you use it, and, you know, you learn on that. So, and by the end of the class are those people that had the camera and been doing it for three years better off than the guy that was a novice, of course. They've got a little bit of experience, but you can quickly see after the class they can progress beyond that person, you know, if they want. It really depends on your drive. So you'll see guys that have a camera for five, six years come to that class, do well after, and you'll see guys that come to that class that didn't have a camera start from nothing, take the class, keep learning days after school, keep grinding, and then that next year they're in that same level as that guy. So the only thing I'll say is I think we can get you to that level quicker, um, but it really depends on your drive and how much you want it after the fact. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, yeah, and that that's like with anything else. I mean, it, it really is dependent upon how far you're willing to push yourself and how how hard you're willing to grind. Yeah, I mean, those artsy, I say artsy, 
if you were the kid in school that loved to paint or draw pictures and always had that creative mind, not the whatever the opposite of that is, <laughs> um, you'll excel because you enjoy pretty things and you can look at something and say, that looks cool. Or, you know, those are the guys, that's all it takes. We talk about the eye at the school. Like, that's the one thing we can't really teach. We can make it better. But, you know, if I put six pictures on the board, a lot of your creative people will pick the same one as the why it's the best. May not have a reason for it, but it looks good. You know, somebody says, that looks kind of cool because that's different. And it may not be, you know, other people might not agree. So having the eye for what looks good on the camera because it's up to you to choose what you shoot and how you shoot it. Those guys do better because they have the eye. And that's something that they say you can't really teach. And I agree with that. It's really tough to teach that eye. Uh, one of the things that you mentioned in the seminar was uh, being flexible. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to kind of touch on that a little bit. So, like, for example, there's potentially two different, you use an example, two different types of videography. You have the more cinematic mm-hmm. type of film that's being shot, and then you have kind of like the humor side of things. And the importance of being able if you are looking for a bunch of different jobs or you want to be able to maneuver around being flexible and being able to capture those across various uh various formats i guess if that makes sense can you can you kind of talk on that a little bit and then maybe like how difficult that can be yeah so in the seminar i talked about like shows have different styles you know a bone collector is very personality driven. A Heartland bow hunter is very cinematic. Um, what's another one that's kind of out there? Um, Drury's is very like about big animals. You know, if, mm-hmm. I mean, I, and I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings if that's not what their show is about and they're listening. You know, but um, there's those things. So I think as you're a freelance guy, being flexible means when you go to film Drury Outdoors, know that they value the animal the most. They value that big buck being shot as clean as possible getting on as quickly as possible um and then you take bone collector and they're into that as well but they're also into the personality stuff so they put more of a focus on when wadi's telling a joke to somebody and it's funny before the hunt you know make sure that's being filmed or you know all those interactions with people whereas juries they may not be filming as much of those conversations and stuff because they'll go back in in the spine room and shoot those things after the fact and make up that story so my point there is being flexible is understanding what the show is about and asking questions to where you're adapting to that style because there's nothing worse than, you know, shooting a cinematic scene or cinematic type show when that show doesn't value that stuff. They're not going to use those shots. So it's asking questions. Um, and I always say try to align yourself with the people that value those shots because that's a better fit for you. You know, like it's and it's same with podcasting. If you like guys that, talk white tail and this and that and they love the white tail thing well why would you go outside your realm and talk about a raccoon trapping episode you know when it doesn't it doesn't interest you it won't come off as good right so it's really just aligning yourself with the great people but being flexible to alter a little bit here and there yeah no for sure have we done raccoon trapping or anything like that did i just i have that was very insulting nick (laughs) i hurt my feelings pretty bad that that was my first whole season was about raccoon trapping Uh, one of the other things I want to talk about, too, is the difference between uh, freelance and a salaried position and the pros and cons, because there were some things in there that I thought might have uh, been left out. Okay. And I love to hear because I'm always changing the presentation. Um, well, why don't why don't you walk through uh, walk us through what the, what the pros and cons are between freelance and full time? Yeah. Yeah. So. Without having my slides up, I'll do my best. But the to me, the cons, the positives of the freelance are being flexible. You get more time off because you can pick and choose when you have those work weeks. So you get to hunt a little bit more. You see more places. You get to film with different people. Um, now, some of those could be cons as well. And, you know, we talk about that. Um, but those are the positives. The negatives to that freelance type guy is where's your next paycheck? Um Where's the stability? Um, slow time of year. How you getting? How you getting paid? How you making money? Um, the stress of changing shows. The stress of changing styles. Um, and just creatively too, I think 
those freelance guys don't have as much of an impact because they're just kind of those filler spots in different shows. So from a creative standpoint, they don't have the capability to really alter a show's DNA or really change the overall look of a show because they're only there for a week, you know, and that week's going to make up maybe part of an episode of a year. So your full-time guys had that ability to really change a show, really make a show shine. So going to, you want to move to the full-time guy or do you have opinions on that or questions on the freelance first? Do you want to do both? No, let's do both. Okay. So full-time guy, obviously the benefit is you're getting that paycheck every week. When it's slow in the winter and the spring or winter and summer, guess what? It's still our jobs to provide income for that full-time guy. Um, pros, like I just mentioned, they enact more creative freedom. They enact more creative stuff. So the show's DNA, they have more of a um, oh, they play more of a role in how well the show does. They can take pride in that. Um, show gets nominated for something. You can look at that main, that full-time field producer and say, yeah, thank you, man. Whereas the the freelancer across the hall that did three days in turkey season, I'm probably not going to give him much credit. You know, no offense. Um, so there's that. Positives are you get to work with the same people every day. Um, if you like your team, it's a great environment for you. You guys you learn how to work with each other. Um, I value having the same person to treat you as much as I can because I think it helps your success level. Um, the cons to the full-time guy is... Um, I mean, there's not many, but uh, I guess if you want to... If you're not a guy that likes doing the same thing over and over again, you may like work with different people, so that could be a con. Um, full-time could be... The con is you like to try different things out and work with different shows. I think those are your major drawbacks, but I, you know, I try not to give too many cons to the full-time guy because to me, that's what everybody should be working for, in my opinion. Um, why you'd want to work less is beyond me, unless you have something else you want to do. And I guess that's kind of where I was going to go with it. So, like, it'll, it it all depends on what your goals are, right? Yeah. So let's let's say in a scenario where, uh, let's use me for example. Like, okay. I I value my hunting time, but I also value being able to be in the hunting industry so i'll do yeah. what it takes to be in the hunting industry now if i want to get to a situation where i'm like nick i'm owning a media company right mm -hmm. is it potentially better to be a freelancer and develop all these various skills and and sharpen all these various blades that you'll have later down the road rather than being locked into like a style you know what i mean well, yeah, and, and I think the only thing I can say there is I do think there's – so let's take that example. So you're the freelance guy. The problem with that is is we say there's 100 uh, – we'll say 100 days in the fall. Because you're freelance, you may work 50, you may work 90, but you're not working 100. I can just almost guarantee that those days won't always line up perfectly and that work won't be coming in. So if you want to start your own company and learn your own stuff for the future, to me, the best thing you can do is work as much as you can and work for people that are doing it as much as you can. While there's value to seeing other ways other people do things, um, if you do it every day, because what's going to happen on those days where you're, you're, not, you're not on the job? Will you film? Yeah, possibly. Will you be filming somebody to learn? And to get better, probably not as much. You'll probably take days off, and I don't blame you because everyone likes, you know, doesn't want to get burned out. But to me, learning from a successful full-time company will give you those skills faster because you'll now be, especially in the summer and the winter, guess what? You'll be going to trade shows with those guys. You'll be talking to sponsors with those guys, those relationships. You will be doing all those little things that they don't hire freelance guys for. They shoot a commercial for a new truck company quickly. You know, they're not going to hire the freelance guy to come for three days. They have that full-time guy. That's his gig. So I think there's more work. Um, and a lot of freelance guys have their, have their quote-unquote media company um, as their LLC or whatnot, and they'll do their little projects and they'll also get hired for their hunting jobs. And that's very popular. A lot of our freelance guys do that. Um, and I still think a lot of those guys would like the full-time commitment because they're going to learn the most the most amount of time and they're going to get paid more i'm not saying it's all about money it's definitely not but if you just like you know kobe bryant's a great example he said if you could work i saw you like whip around are you a big 
Kobe Bryant fan? Okay. So he and I could correct me if I'm wrong because I could be I could mess this up now. But now now I'm nervous. So he said, if you could work an hour every day, well, what would happen if you could work three or four hours a day? You have that leg up on everybody else. So to be successful, what he's saying is, you know, you have to do it every day. You have to be the guy that does it more. So your full-time guys that have had full-time jobs in the past, to me, in the industry, are more successful than those freelance guys that are eventually working towards their own media company. Because they get kind of conditioned, too, to not working full-time. Which is weird, you know. It's right because when they hire, when they go full time in their media company, now they're expecting it's tough for them to train and switch sides. To all of a sudden, now they're working every single day. Because when you have your own company, if that if if you're not doing that work, that work doesn't get get done. It's not like working at a job at you know um, a grocery store or you know a retail store where if you're not working, somebody else is doing that work to pick up the slack. It doesn't work like that. When I'm not in the office right now, those edits and those that footage, that stuff's just not getting done. So yeah. that's a different mindset. But so I want to kind of transition here over into the the quote unquote burnout, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I want to talk about first what what can somebody expect as far as like let's just if we had to put in hours per week on it, what could somebody in this type of field expect to be working? Hmm. Well, let's say I'd say over 60 hours during the fall. Um, I say working 60 hours, you know, take that for what it's worth because if you're in the tree stand for eight hours, it's not like you're just the camera's just constantly on recording. But that's still work. You're still out there. It's, you know, it's opportunity cost. You're not doing anything else during that time, maybe on social media. So I would say in the fall it could be 60 hours where – Maybe, I don't know what the percentage is, a good portion of that is actually like hard work, like getting gear ready, shooting the shots. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's a lot of time and we don't sugarcoat that. We don't hide that because you have to love the grind. You have to love love the work. Um, you, know, you have to work for that moment of success. You know, if you're not that guy that's going to really like just relax when it happens and celebrate then it's probably not for you because you have to know what that moment feels like as a successful hunter when you shoot that animal and it's just the weights off your back and it's just like adrenaline rush comes down like as the videographer you feel that too so you have to work those long days looking for that moment because that's just kind of like the reward for what we do is that more or less than what you thought honestly that that is uh well you say on average 60, obviously, sometimes it's more, sometimes it's less. I could see it. I could see it being more. And it's just so tough because, like, how it's such a weird way to gauge what the work is. Because right, exactly. To me, hunting, and we're out there just because there's a camera next to you, how much that time are you hunting, looking around, and how much are you filming? So it's like, yeah, I mean, if, 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 if you're saying because you're there the whole time, then it's way over 60 hours. Every time your responsibility is capturing footage, when the opportunity arises, then yeah, you're always ready to capture footage. Yeah, and then also how how much you're incorporated into, uh, let's say that particular project. Are you editing too? Um, so we have one field producer, maybe two, that also edits some of our content as far as our personal episodes. Um, but for the most part, it's a separate editor. Um, a lot of TV shows outside of our show that main editor will also be the main field producer. So, but he doesn't, you know, it's not like he gets done with the hunt and a seven-day PA bear season hunt. He doesn't leave those seven days and start cutting the episode when he gets back. We're talking like months after he's like, okay, time to start cutting episodes. Right. And and that's one of the big differences between, let's say, YouTube and network television too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um. Yeah, I'm kind of. How do I explain that? So between YouTube and network television, give me that in a better question format so I can answer it. <laughs> so, as far as distribution, how quickly you have to get your deliverables ready? Okay, yeah. So, YouTube is you know people want it as quickly as they can, and I think that's the best route. You know, you see guys trying to do it like a semi live, like the week after. Whereas network TV, you're stuck in a contract, so 
Q3, Q4, right? Like July, the episodes do. Well, for YouTube, it can be um, it can be as quickly as you want, or it can be as late. Sometimes people take a year. Sometimes I know people tag and brag great friends of ours. I'm not sure if you've heard of them. They mm-hmm. do stuff dang near immediately. Like if they see a buck on Instagram that next week, they are uh, you know they're showing that episode. So um, yeah, everyone's different. It's really personal preference. You know, I think in a perfect world, it's be as be as quickly as possible. But then. How much of that quality loss is if you can't spend that adequate time on it? Exactly. Yep. Exactly. Uh, all right. Kind of the um, the last question I really have for you here is: It better be a good one. How do you prevent the burnout? And now I want to hear. I want to hear you personally, and then I want to hear a recommendation for a generality. Just it just the uh, outdoor videography side. You're saying. Yeah. Not so much the hunting side, right? Correct. So, okay. I mean, obviously within hunting, like I, I feel like every hunter at some point or another encounters yeah. burnout. Yeah. So I think for the for the individual doing this, I think it's you have to just set realistic goals for yourself. You have to be honest with yourself. You know, like do as much many trips as you can, but also make sure you're doing it for the right reasons. Make sure you still enjoy it. Make sure you're going with people that you enjoy being around. Um, I think it's really just the group you hang out with. I think people get burned out when they get stressed out. I think people get burned out when they're doing it with people they don't want to be around. Um, I think that's with any job. If you like the people you work with, why would you not want to work? You know? So to me, I think it's being honest with yourself, um, getting yourself in good situations, good trips around good people. Um, money's on everything, you know, so if it's, if you're making a little less, but you work with people you don't, you want to work with, then help them make more, help you make more, or just be content with being there and working for that person. Um, to me, the people are everything and I value everyone that works for us because we want them in our clan, you know, so, sure. um, if you're not in our clan, then, you know, if you, if you want to be, there's, there's a reason for you're not, or you just haven't tried or we haven't thought about you, but if you're working for a guy that you don't like, then try something new. Somebody out there would probably enjoy working for that guy. Right. No, that's great advice. That's absolutely great advice. All right. I lied. I do have another question. Okay. Um, where can the listeners find out more information on your video school? I know you mentioned that you have uh, an online classes as well, yep. online classes as well, and uh, the rest of what Become One has to offer. Yeah. So our TV show, Become TV is on Sportsman's channel on Monday night at 9 p.m. That's our website, becomeone.tv. Show's called Become One. Um, our education stuff, filmthehunt.com. Both websites can get you back and forth. You know, they kind of obviously interlink. We're smart like that. Nice, nice. Um, you know, Facebook, social media, Instagram, we are on all those things under both platforms. If you want to learn more about the schools, look up Film the Hunt. You want to learn more about the TV show, that's at Become One. Um, and yeah, man, I, I, I appreciate your time. It was a pleasure talking to you. I, I love, I love talking about, you have some great questions. I love the stuff, you know, that just makes me think. And I love the fact that I even had to think about things for a little bit. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. And I, I enjoyed having the conversation with you and, and the answers that you gave me because it honestly made me think as well, especially in the seminar, it was really had my wheels turned and I enjoyed it a lot. So yeah, thanks. man, I, I think, I don't know what you do, but I think be a, he says the podcast, but good people make good employees. Good people do well. You know, if you're a bad person, you just you're not going to be well. And you know, you're you're a good dude. So I think if you ever wanted to do it, you could do it if it you know if it fit your lifestyle. Awesome. Well, I appreciate that.